0: tonight. We are especially happy to see that we have a a goodly number of people from out of town, from various churches near and far. The purpose for tonight's meeting is to uh, hear further instruction on God's healing in Bible times and also today, and also to give us an opportunity to pray here tonight for ourselves and for others in their needs, and then to remember to give God the glory. Our speakers tonight will be Frederick, now Dr. Frederick Trinkline, and his wife Margaret. And uh, there will be three testimonies by Helen Cosman, Linda Hubmeyer, and Lou Detloff. Our musicians here who are playing auto harps are Marjorie Bohm, and Barbara Seberson. The last part of the service tonight will be devoted to prayer for the sick. Now, we shall begin our service and dedicate this service to the one and only God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
1: So good to be here, to see all you people there. And we've come together tonight to worship the Lord. And Jesus said that when two or three of us are gathered in his name, that he's in the midst of them. So we just acknowledge the presence of Jesus here tonight as we continue our service. And we'd like to ask you to join us in worshiping through song. I'd like to start with the first song on your song sheet tonight, and let's just sing, He is Lord. And we'll sing it through twice, all right? by singing, uh, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him, the bottom of the first column. right catch on to it real quick because the words are easy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Hallelujah. Should we try it? right under that one. Hallelujah. And Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer, and come Lord Jesus. speaker is Spirit of the Living God and as we sing this we're going to add another verse it's Spirit of the Living God fall afresh on me we sing it the first time the second time we sing fall afresh on us and the third time we're going to ask the Spirit to anoint all those that are speaking tonight Fred Shrinkline and his wife Margaret and all those that are giving testimonies So as we sing it the third time, we're asking the Spirit to anoint those that are going to minister to us through the Word.
2: friends. The Bible is our instruction manual. We all know that. We don't often make full use of it. If you buy a car and it doesn't work properly, you finally look in the instruction manual. Where else, then, what better place can we look if we want to have instruction on how to have whole bodies and whole minds than in God's own instructions. So I'd like to begin what I want to say to you about the Bible and healing this evening by reading a section of scripture found in the gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 9, starting at verse 17. A man in the crowd said, Teacher, I brought my son to you because he has an evil spirit in him and cannot talk. Whenever the spirit attacks him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, grits his teeth, and becomes stiff all over. I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not. Jesus said to them, How unbelieving you people are! How long must I stay with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. They brought him to Jesus. As soon as the spirit saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a fit, so that he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has he been like this? Jesus asked the father. Ever since he was a child, he replied, many times the evil spirit has tried to kill him by throwing him in the fire and into water. Have pity on us and help us if you possibly can. Yes, said Jesus, if you yourself can. Everything is possible for the person who has faith. The father at once cried out, I do have faith, but not enough. Help me have more. Jesus noticed that the crowd was closing in on them, so he gave a command to the evil spirit. Deaf and dumb spirit, he said, I order you to come out of the boy and never go into him again. The spirit screamed, threw the boy into a bad fit, and came out. The boy looked like a corpse, and everyone said, he is dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and helped him rise, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive the Spirit out? Only prayer can drive this kind out, answered Jesus. Nothing else can. How our hearts go out to this father, and as it says in one of the other Gospels, his only child. For years, this father had tried everything. Medical attention, He even had gone to the disciples of Jesus and said, help us, he says, help us, not just the boy. We're in this as a family. And it is certainly understandable that the faith of this father was a weak one. After having gone through all this tribulation, after one frustration after another, He comes to Jesus and says, I don't have enough faith. And Jesus indeed put his finger on the situation and says, faith is the key. Faith and prayer. Now notice that in the story, Jesus healed this boy in spite of the fact that the father had a weak faith. He didn't say, you've got to have more faith and then come back He healed him. Perhaps he healed him because of his weak faith. He wanted people to see that even that much faith is going to produce results. The Holy Writer says in Philippians, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He's saying that to us The same mind that healed this boy was the mind of Christ Jesus which he says should be in us. So for a few moments I would like to lead you through scripture to show you what kind of mind Jesus had when it comes to physical and mental health. If you count them, and I counted the healing stories in the Bible, There are altogether in the Bible 56 stories where people were healed. That's hardly an incidental thing in the Bible. Some doctrines are built on much less scriptural evidence than healings. Healings pervade the Bible from beginning to end. There are nine miraculous healings in the Old Testament. 37 times The Bible tells us that Jesus healed either one person or a whole group of people. Ten times it tells us that the disciples or apostles or members of the early church physically healed people or even raised them from the dead. There are few topics in the Bible that have as much repetition and undergirding as the healing work of Jesus Christ. In fact, there is not a single incidence in the entire Bible where Jesus refused to heal someone. Every time someone came to Jesus for healing, the stories that are told to us in the Gospels, he healed. Why are these stories there? obviously for our instruction, not just to convince us that Jesus is God and can do these things. That could very well have been done by changing water into wine and calming the sea, and this certainly would convince us too, but for our instruction and our daily lives. So let's take a look at the methods that he used in the stories in which he healed people. As a matter of fact, there are cases in the Bible where a person's attitude prevented Jesus performing a miracle. When he was brought before Herod, Herod wanted to see a miracle. He was glad that they brought Jesus. Now he can see some tricks. And Jesus said nothing. In his town of Capernaum, he left Sadly, he could do no miracles there because of their unbelief. A person's attitude can prevent God from working a miracle. And yet, even in the instances, and in Capernaum, where Jesus could not do a miracle, we are told he healed some people and then left. He never came back there. But he still healed those who came to him, even in that unbelieving town. How did he do it? What did he require of the people who came to him? Some of them he touched. Some touched him. In some cases, no touching went on. In other instances, he didn't even get near the person. The centurion servant was healed from a distance. He never even saw him. Sometimes he spoke to the person. Other times he didn't say anything. Sometimes he did it in a crowd. They led a paralytic down through the roof, and he healed in the midst of that crowd. Another time he told a blind man, "Come in here privately. I want you all by myself in a room," and healed him there. Sometimes he said, "Don't tell anybody." He raised the daughter of Jairus, and there was a big crowd there, and he said, don't tell anybody. That's almost ridiculous to listen to. Don't, they're all there and hearing it. And other times he said, go tell everybody that I have just healed this person. He healed a blind man by putting a mud material on his eye. He spat on the ground and made a spittle and mud combination and put it on his eyes so that the people could see that there were physical, visible methods being used. He healed another blind man with a word, and the man saw. He healed another blind man by saying, in degrees you're going to see better and better. First the man looked and people looked like trees and then they looked like people. What are we to gather from all those stories? Obviously, Jesus healed in many different ways. And if the mind of Jesus is to be in us, then there must be many different ways in which a person can get well. There's no magic formula about it, is what he's trying to tell us. Well, what does he tell us is the cause of the sickness. Well, in many of the stories of Jesus healing, the 37 stories, no cause is mentioned. He doesn't ask the person, how did you get sick? Or he doesn't tell the crowd, this person is sick because. No cause. Very frequently, evil spirits are mentioned, as in the case of the boy I just read about. It says an evil spirit was in this boy. And certainly that could be used in many other stories where that isn't even mentioned, that it is an evil spirit. Obviously, evil is the cause of the sickness. Certainly we know that sin is the cause of sickness. Sin that makes us do things that prevent good health. In the case of the paralytic, before he cured him, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now there are two reasons that he did that. First, to show that he was God and can forgive sins. But there's a second reason. He was saying to that man, your sin is making you sick. And first you get rid of your sin and guilt and all these other feelings that are bothering you, and then wholeness of body and mind can come. He told another person at the pool when he healed him, Don't sin anymore because a worse sickness can come to you. Absolutely modern psychology that your mind can make you sick. And indeed it probably does have an influence on health in all cases. But probably the most important reason for the sickness in many of the healings that Jesus performed was that the sickness was there so that he could show his love for the person he's going to heal. They brought a blind man to him and said, Jesus, who sinned, he or his father, that he should be born blind? It's a dilemma. They like to ask him questions that had horns, that both answers were wrong, you know. And Jesus said, neither. Neither but this man is blind so that the glory of the Lord can be revealed through him. Lazarus, his friend, died, and his sister came and said, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, he's dead because this will show the glory of the Lord, and he raised him from the dead. So we're not to bother ourselves with the cause in Jesus' stories, but put the attention and focus on Christ. so where does faith come in when it comes to the healings that Jesus performed? Often, Jesus would say, your faith has made you whole. And he would say, he marveled at the faith of a person, be it unto you as you desire. Sometimes it was even the faith of a friend. The centurion's servant, it doesn't say whether he had faith at all, but the centurion did. And his servant was healed. So faith was the key, even though it was not of the person himself. We've already seen that lack of faith often prevented marvelous works from being done. But very often faith is not even mentioned. In some of the healings Jesus performed, it doesn't say whether the person had faith. Jesus didn't ask them whether they had faith. When he went to the Jerusalems and there was a demoniac in the hills, he drove him out. He didn't ask him, he didn't talk to him, he drove the demon out and the demon went into the swine. In fact, his healing miracle didn't even produce faith in that case. You can't always say that if a person is healed, that will produce greater faith in the people who see it. In this case, it made matters worse. When the demon came out into the swine, they got out there and said, Jesus, get out. Get out of town. We like our swine better. What about the early church? What about after the ascension of Christ? Did it all stop? In the book of Acts, stories of healing are so commonplace that the conclusion we must draw is that healing people in Jesus' name was a very natural consequence of the preaching of the gospel. After Peter had healed a sick person, he told the people in Acts 3, verse 12, Why are you so surprised? Why don't you expect this? Why are you surprised? Don't you see that the power of God is at work here? And it wasn't just Peter and other apostles. He gave that power to all his followers in Scripture. Healings were performed in Acts by people who were not apostles. By Stephen. Stephen was not an apostle. Stephen was a deacon of the church. It says he was chosen because of his good character, and he healed people. There was a deacon called Philip, not an ordained apostle of any kind, who healed people. Even the dead were raised in the book of Acts. In one case, Paul raised the person who was killed because he went to sleep during Paul's sermon. Or he was sitting up in a window and Paul went on and on and he fell backwards and died. (laughs) Deadly. (laughs) And he went and raised him from the dead. Physical and mental healing are natural companions of the Christian gospel and it is something that needs to be reiterated in the lives of Christians and in our church over and over. Not do I have the magic formula, am I saying the right words, but am I putting Christ first? We're going to hear later how we can apply these truths to our own Christian lives and to the life of the church. I'd like to close with another reading, this time from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 6. And these verses are directed exactly at us tonight. Jesus called the twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Then he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The disciples left and traveled through all the villages, preaching the good news and healing people everywhere. So far the word of God.
0: The offering will now be received. It is written in Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them, and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men. We've asked these people to experience the marvelous healing power of God to share that experience with us tonight. First, I'd like to call forward Mrs. Helen Callison, our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Old West.
3: years ago i had a malignant tumor, tumor followed by cobalt treatment and five months, five months later i started chemotherapy injections so there have been metastasis, which means that microscopic cancer cells have been spread a few months later on a saturday i received a phone call from a friend who called about another night and during the conversation i told her that i was to have a bone scan on thursday the doctor suspected bone involvement. She realized the seriousness of my own and also my pessimistic mood and invited me to her prayer group, which at that time was an ecumenical charismatic group, a collection of Christians from various denominations who believe in and experience the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, as set forth in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I forgot about the invitation, but when I sat down Thursday afternoon to prepare the next day's vacation Bible school lesson, and I prayed to the Holy Spirit for guidance, the prayer meeting being held that evening came to mind, and I resolved to go. I didn't know at that time that Ruth had been praying for me all week, realizing that spiritual healing is more important than physical healing. But in an endeavor to pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit, she asked for a sign. And the sign was that if I attended the next prayer meeting, she could pray for my physical healing. At the prayer meeting, and the songs of praise and other prayers, she would start to pray for my healing. And then she sang in the spirit. She sang in tongues. And the interpretation was given to God crew that they should lay hands on me. All the people present gathered around and laid hands on me and prayed for my physical healing. Then we sent in the spirit again, in other words, in the prayer language the Lord had given her, and the interpretation given to Doris again was that I would be healed in the Lord's time. Now I questioned it. Now I questioned that this was truly of God. I realized that if it was, I would be cured of my illness. I also realized that I, that I could be in my last days, and if so, I wanted to stay close to the Lord. So I resolved to read scripture every day. One day I was reading about Abraham and his strong faith, and I felt that the Lord was telling me to have faith like Abraham. I also continued to attend the prayer At a meeting about six weeks later, Jesus' presence was so real to me, I reached out to touch him, and in that act, he gave me my prayer language. I can speak in tongue. Praise God. I continued to take the chemotherapy injection, but also did much searching in scripture on all the incidents of healing done by our Lord. Gradually, the fear of what could happen to me lifted, and I believed the prophecy of my healing. But I hoped that was. After 15 months of treatment, I was glad to believe they would end. However, another bone scan and x-rays revealed something on my spine. The doctors weren't certain it was cancer cells, if it was, they were inactive at that time. But they thought it advisable for the treatment to continue. This was an ancient time for me, and again, many prayers were offered in my behalf by friends. At one prayer meeting, they laid hands on me, and the Lord gave me the message for me. It was, my daughter, I have spoken believe, It brought correction and comfort. In June of this year, after 240 years of treatment, the doctor told me that I had no active cancer, that I was essentially cured. Praise the Lord. I was given three options. I could continue the chemotherapy treatments, but every three months instead of every month. I could start any of which would be vaccination-like treatments to build up my immune system. Or I could have no treatments at all, in which case it would be imperative for me to have a checkup every four months. You see, I haven't told the doctors about the prophecy from the Lord, because I don't think they would believe in me, and they think the cancer could flare up at any time. I am endeavored to determine the will of the Lord as to what to do. After much prayer, scripture reading, and meditation, especially on the passage, David, ask, and it should be given unto you. And trusted medical advice, I felt led to have no more treatment. I give the glory to Jesus, for he not only healed me, he told me in advance I could heal, and he gave me the faith to believe him. Praise and thanks to the Lord.
2: Now, my old members,
4: this is the Lord that I really believe that just as you read here in Exodus 15 verse 26, that our Lord can still heal us today and will. There are many ways in which we can be healed, and God chose to heal me through prayer, faith, and through the wisdom of my doctors. In March 1973, I went into the hospital for a biopsy on a lump on my neck. It was malignant and I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. I can't throw up the limitations system what it was. This sounds scary, doesn't it? It was to me for a while. But in Philippians chapter four, verse thirteen, it says, "For I can do everything that God asks me to, with the help of Christ. to gives me the strength and the power." So I claimed that promise right away, and I didn't get discouraged. No matter what was going to happen to me, I knew that I could face it with God's help. And he did give me the strength and the power to get through. Well, I was hospitalized for a month and a half, and I went through many treatments and tests and finally three more months of cobalt treatment. There were some rough times when I was by myself, but even then I knew I wasn't alone because I knew that God was always with me and that he knew what was going to happen even if I didn't. In Romans 8 28, it says, that all things work together for good if we love God, and I believe it. Being close to Jesus and having Him as a friend got me through a lot of things. My faith in Jesus is very special to me, and it was especially during this time of my life. No matter how things looked then, like, having God's real presence with me constantly made a big difference to me. My parents had given me a good background for my faith, which I faced God for, and it helped me tremendously now. And my husband and I grew, prayed, together, and we believed in God's promise that He would always be with us, no matter what. Another very important factor, which I'll never forget, was the many prayers of many Christians, friends, and family. Pastor Gabriel, of great, and Park, came to see me every day, and we always prayed together. In James 15, verse 16 it says, pray for each other that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of the right hand has great power and wonderful results. Pastor told me that he the will to his and the congregation were continually bombarded with own God with their prayers. And the prayers had results. So often we wonder if God really hears our prayer, but he does. And he knows what's best for us. After many treatments and check the doctors told us that my heart's was gone, and I had no more cancer. God can do anything, and I praise him for still keeping me in his care. But this is not the end of my story, for God had also another very, very special and exciting related feeling for me, and my family. The doctors told me I'd never be able to have any more of my own children, because of the uh, large amount of cobalt treatments that I had on my over. So, Bruce and I accepted this as God's plan once again. For often, we had talked about having a, an adoption in our family from a foreign country. So, we went about uh, going on with these plan, as we had thought us before. And in uh, Thanksgiving Day on November, the, the Thanksgiving Day in on 1975, uh, a very appropriate day, our soon to ten. now our first person was brought to us. And we praise God for that. Now in December, of the same year, I thought I was sick again. We should never doubt our Lord, I know, and I shouldn't have then. But I just wasn't myself. I knew something was wrong. So in the beginning of January, I decided to go back to the doctors and I found myself in the hospital in the radiology department. Now what I heard that day was not what I expected to hear for so it was very, very far from my mind. All of a sudden, my doctor was looking at me. It ear finally ear, and he said to me, excuse me, God, Linda, don't you even know when you're pregnant? Well, Linda to say there was great rejoicing in the hospital that day, even with my doctor's support. And my family, being were very excited. But the doctors, and it's the real joy that my Christian parents, friends, and family experienced when we heard of that news. Because the doctors still say, still say today that they don't know how it happens because it's just impossible. But we know that through God, all things are possible. And we praise God in the inner depths of our hearts. And still in God's plan of this fact that if we would have known in November that I was pregnant, it's the adoption of my son, Christopher Williams, and terminate. So on June twenty-first, 1976, Timothy's movie was born to us. All 10 pounds, 11 ounces of him. The doctors thought he wasn't going to be a healthy
5: child.
4: God knows what he's doing. As I said before, in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good because our child. And we pray the Lord that that's true. God can use our wealthy doctors to help us, but God is our ultimate healer. With the constant prayers of others and the doctor's wisdom, God has healed me of cancer and every symptom of it, and I give him all the glory, and I praise him with all my
0: The third final testimony will we'll be by Luke Detlock of Coneglutian Church I
6: started a man wants to die in the judgment. Before thought about that, during the last ten years of my life hoping that judgment comes, they do count on but they count some stars. The 70s has begun for my life, and life in a very difficult way when and we became aware that a very good daughter of about 13 years of age, would have a a uh, very complicated uh, medical problem. prayers, friends, they were personal deep prayers, with several of my closest friends. I asked just some indication that I had been hurt. And, uh, when we went to the doctor, he was quite puzzled. This day, I didn't know first whether this was a good matter or different much indication of the issue of possible, and he said that there was some sort of a, a change in that, that he couldn't be sure he felt that it was the good I got outside. still when it comes to people who are are a deep game.
0: of God's healing power, and I join you in giving God the glory.
7: Now we're going to address ourselves to a topic of what about the church and healing today. Where does all this that we have just heard. Where does it leave you and me? As far as our relationship to people who we know who are sick or if we get sick. Now, according to scripture, we really have more control over how healthy we can be than the world would admit to. You see, the Christian cannot just do his own thing bible tells us that we are not our own we're bought with the price and it says therefore we should glorify god in our bodies from the beginning obedience and health have tied together we've been interactive and it's it's not that obedience is tied to salvation let's not get those two things confused because we know that Even the faith that accepts the free gift of salvation is in itself a gift. There is no way we can earn our salvation. But obedience is a matter of the will. It's a different ballgame. And from the very beginning, God connected obedience with health. Adam and Eve. Their health was very much connected with their obedience. When God told them, if you eat of the tree of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Very direct message he had for them. And they ate, and we know from that time forth, we are subject, all of us, to illness because we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And this message has recurred throughout scripture the uh, children of Israel, in the Old Testament times, God's chosen people. Moses told them very clearly after they'd gotten the commandment, he said, now, if you obey God, there are going to be just blessing after blessing after blessing. He listed dozens of them. And then he turned right around and said, but if you don't obey God, there are going to be many, many problems in your life. And one of them was illness. So there is a connection there. Jesus said, as Fred mentioned before, to the man with the pool of Bethesda, He said, you have been made whole, but go and sin no more, lest the worse thing befall you. Our choices that we make, that God gives us, are really very important. Now how do we know when we're disobeying? it's not always that easy is it to try to find what the lord's will is well the only real way that i know is to study scripture that's god's love letter to us he didn't write it to scold us he wrote it to tell us how to live a beautiful life and we need to pay more attention to that that's one of the ways the other way is through prayer we can ask god to show us sometimes we get directions through our friends who are pastors our teachers of what god wants us to do but both of these methods whether we study the word or whether we pray it involves some listening on our part to know just what it is that the lord wants each one of us to do in order to be obedient to him Now obviously one of the uh, easiest instructions that we get in scriptures are the Ten Commandments, and all of us are quite familiar with those. And uh, we know that a good share of them talk about coveting, being envious, uh, trying to get even, resentments, things like that. If we obey the commandments, we will be avoiding some of those. And recently, even the medical world, if you've been keeping up on the news and the papers, has been saying that there is a tie-in there, that when there's resentment and fear and greed, bitterness, that these things can actually breed things like ulcers, arthritis, even cancer, can, be stimulated by these feelings that we have uh, there's another commandment that's even clearer because it says right in it that obedience is going to help you thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother that it may be well with thee well let's say it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long near it. now i think as we all look back we can probably remember some of the same kinds of things that our parents told us It's a preventive thing for sickness. For instance, eat your vegetables. Go to bed on time. Don't forget to wash your hands. Get your room organized. Play fair. Don't forget your prayers. Each one of these if we obey them. Give us better physical health, better mental health. It takes us the pressure and it gives us spiritual vitality. So even just that one commandment, because if we honor the parents, we're going to be listening to them. And these are the sort of things that I'm telling us because they love us so much. They show us God's love. And the more we study scriptures, the clearer we see just what it is, that God wants us to do. Of course, obedience also includes using the things that God gave us, like doctors, medicine, and things of this sort. Now we use them with prayer. It isn't an either or thing. We don't not pray because we're going to the doctor to be healed. And we don't not go to the doctor because we're praying to be healed. He expects us to use those things together like in the new testament for instance where uh paul told timothy use a little wine for your stomach's sake wine was one of the medicines they had at that time james when he talked about the church anointing with oil oil was one of the major medicines of that time they might put a little wine on to kill the germs and then they put some oil on and that would soothe and heal so they were not saying either at that time when they said to pray for, for your health. They weren't saying discontinue your medicines, you don't need your doctors. It's a combination, it's teamwork. And then uh, Jesus also encouraged people to contact the authorities when they were healed before they, you know, to have their healing checked out before they went back to their regular job you know he would come to go to the priests after they were cured of leprosy or whatever so um, he also wasn't saying just throw out your medicines he was saying get checked out so much for the prevention of the illness now when sickness comes body and mind and spirit and we've all experienced at one time or another what should we as christians do What is there some step by step you know the right way to do it, and then if you don't do it that way, forget it. No, there really isn't. You could see that by these stories that Fred told about Jesus healing. He used all sorts of methods. And when God is the healer and God is sovereign, there just is no magic formula. We don't know exactly how He's going to do it because He likes variety. You know, he never made two snowflakes alive. Why should we expect him to do all his healing rote fashion? He doesn't do that. It's to bring us closer to him always. And we do that when it's an individual situation. There are a lot of mysteries in healing, a lot of things we don't understand yet. So we can't just say we've got it all down path. For one thing, he deals differently at different times. Take the time of Eli and Samuel, for instance. There were no... uh, The word of the Lord was rare in those days and there were no frequent visions. Now that, while before that, there had been a lot of visions and we always heard the Lord talking to people and so on. But at the time of Samuel, that had ceased. But still, when the Lord called Samuel, he wanted him to listen. He didn't want him to say, Sorry, Lord, you're not doing that anymore. We have to be ready for whatever the Lord, however he wants to deal with us at our time. And not only do, don't we decide how he deals with us, he's the one that decides that, we don't decide whom he deals through. Again, we could use Eli and Samuel. The Lord was talking to Samuel. Now, Eli was the high priest, and you don't get any higher than that in the Jewish hierarchy. And here was Samuel, a little altar boy, just a novice. But Eli didn't say, Lord, you can't talk to that kid. I'm the top dog. He he said, Samuel, I think the Lord is talking to you. You go listen to him, tell him, speak, I'm I'm listening. So we have to be ready to bend to the Lord's will. Let him do it his way. Then after we have studied to see what he wants us to do and have listened, then when we find it, we have best obey. We are supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you've been studying and in Bible classes and prayer groups and so on, been studying the word and he's been telling you, pray for the sick. And you say, well, isn't that nice that we can pray for the sick today, but we aren't doing it then that's not God pleasing either. If we're getting the message that He wants us to do something, then we had best be about doing it. And if we make some honest mistakes, the Lord is not going to punish us for it. I like to compare it to when we have a little toddler learning to walk. Now we know when you set him on his feet, he's going to fall on his face probably a few times. And yet it's important that he learns to walk, and the only way he's going to learn is by doing it. And that's a little bit the situation where we are with God and healing. When that child falls down, we don't slot him and say, you stupid kid, you've got to put one foot in front of the other. That was very bad. We say, hey, that was a good try and we pick him up and give him a hug and try it again. God is our father and that's the way he's going to deal with us with healing. Or with anything else that he asks us to do So tonight we're talking about healing if we make some mistakes he's not going to punish us for it he's going to love us for trying for trying to be obedient to his command that says go and heal he told his disciples to go and heal now there are a few do's and don'ts that we've learned about healing and i'd like to cover a few of them tonight we'll start with the don'ts do not try to dictate to God how He should heal. How many of you go to your doctor and say, now doc, this is what I need you to do. We knew that we wouldn't have children, right? It's the same way with the Lord. We don't tell him how and when. That's his decision. We just go to him for help because we know that he knows the problem. He sees eternal life as the primary goal we must remember. So often, we're so tuned to this life that all we can see is we want to be well and not to die. This is the idea of healing prayer. <coughs> but God sees eternal life. That's, that's His main goal. And so that might make the route a little bit different. He sees some of the side effects of sickness in His kingdom. I uh, spoke to one lady once who went in the hospital, she didn't really know why. Turned out everything was all right. She decided that she was sent there to witness to the other person Sometimes our courage that we have during an illness can be a witness to the doctors, the nurses, our friends. There are side effects to illnesses that we don't always recognize, and the Lord does. He's got this whole tapestry going And we won't see it until after we get to heaven but he knows the picture he knows the whole story so we have to let him do his thing he even sees future problems which might arise Uh, when my dad was very ill i found that i could not pray for his uh, recovery for his getting well he was in his 80s and uh, two of his brothers had died very painful deaths and dad was just slowly slipping away without pain and I almost scolded myself at that point because I thought you know really if you're a loving God you ought to pray that your dad gets well and the Lord sort of showed me that there are some times when I mean after all we all need to die sometime and if I had insisted from the Lord that my dad get over that sickness that he had he might have Honored that prayer. I mean there's an awful lot in asking and standing on God's promise and saying, Lord, you promised to hear me and this is what I want. But if he had been spared that and then had died a very painful death, how badly I would have felt. We have to listen to the Lord's leadings even while we pray, to whether it's really the best thing for that person to be healed of that particular disease another thing which i'll just mention is there are spiritual battles big spiritual battles that we have no idea about involving the angels and all the powers of heaven and hell and we play a little part in that sometimes but we don't always know it god sees that part that may be a part of our illnesses sometimes and we have to trust him so we don't try to tell god what to do we just go to him and ask him Lord, what are you going to do for me because you love me there's one other very important do not and that is we do not suspect the sick person of lack of faith or hidden sins we have no right to do that that would be judging after all Paul was sick he said he asked the Lord several times he had this thorn in his flesh and God didn't take it away and yet Paul went around healing other people Timothy Paul's helper he had a lot of ailments, it refers to his frequent ailments. So it's not a thing that we can equate that way. We must be very careful, that we don't do that. Uh, the faith of the community is a factor, whether somebody gets healed. That story that we mentioned when Christ went to his hometown, he couldn't do many big things there because of, there was such, so little faith. Now, if we're going to point to somebody in our congregation, for instance, who's not getting well, then maybe we're better to point our finger at ourselves and say hey where's my faith to support this man or this woman in her quest for help if i were operating as my part of the body of christ maybe he wouldn't be well maybe it's my fault also the faith and preparation of those who are praying is a factor you remember that part where the uh, jesus uh, cast out the demon out of that one more boy and the disciples said why couldn't we do that and he said that only comes out by prayer and fasting so if we're praying for somebody and they don't get well we can't say hey your faith is just too weak we may be better look at how well we are being prepared what our relationship to god is it all works together it's all part of the picture so we never blame a sick person if we don't see healing right away as we would like to. And now for some of the do's. We do search our own hearts and lives for anything that might be hindrances to healing. Now that's whether we are the sick people or whether we are the people doing the praying. We all need to be in obedience. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And we receive from him whatever we ask, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this commandment, this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Now, in searching our heart, we should also consider what the Bible calls the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. You notice, God is first. As we pray for healing or for anything else, we focus on God. Not on the sickness, not on what might have caused it. We focus on God and His power that He has that can do anything we ask. His love. That is so clear in scripture that we know he wants to heal us on his wisdom that we know that he knows when is the best time what's the best route to take then the next one we come to in that great commandment is ourselves because it says you have to love your neighbor as yourself so that implies you do love yourself we have trouble with that sometimes we know some of the things that we have done. Our conscience really can bother us. But God says that we are forgiven in Christ, that that's all washed away. Now we must forgive ourselves. Let that burden fall. It's been paid for. It says in First John chapter 3, verse three, everyone who thus hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself, as He is pure. Faith purifies us. Faith is a gift. When you ask for faith, God never says no. So you see the chain reaction there? We ask for the faith, the faith purifies us, and we can laugh at Satan when he says, you can't possibly have a good life because of these things he did way back then he has not that power over us that's been removed now we get around to loving your neighbor and that includes our family sometimes it's easier to love our neighbors than it is our family and it includes spouse children parents all your relatives and what we have to do there is maybe the hardest of all we have to forgive over hurts No more resentments, no more grudges. That doesn't have a part in the Christian's life as he approaches the Lord. Sometimes we are very wronged by people. But we do not have a right to hold a grudge. We do not have a right to seek revenge. God says, vengeance is mine. We must forgive and be reconciled healing begins with forgiveness, like the lame man who was let down through the roof. And Christ said, first of all, your sins are forgiven. That's where it begins. And it is a good idea too, to intercede for those who you're having problems with. Maybe you can't change that feeling inside you. I know I've gone through that. But if you ask the Lord, He will help change that resentment that you have over being really wrongly treated he can heal all that in the story of Job, where he was so very sick and lost everything do you remember what changed things for him he was not healed until he prayed for those so-called friends that gave him such a hard time while he was so sick he was miserable and they kept saying you you should get worse and he, they really made things even more difficult. And God says, "Intercede for your friends." And when He did that, He was healed, and His fortunes came back twofold. So we shouldn't just forgive, but pray for those people. You'd be surprised what can happen. Now, after we searched our hearts and asked God to take away old resentments, we just put the whole thing into His hands. The timing whether it's going to be immediate or whether it's going to be a gradual healing. That's not for us to decide. That's for God to decide. The method, whether it's going to be a dramatic miracle or whether it's going to happen through medicine or maybe surgery or maybe even death. Death, after all, is the beginning of something more beautiful. And we shouldn't discount that. Abraham and Isaac, that story just never ceases to amaze me how this old, old man with the one son we had waited for for, I think it was 75 years. And the Lord says, sacrifice him, kill him. And Abraham was willing to do that. His only son. He was willing, if that's what God thought was best, then Abraham says, okay, Lord whatever you say. Now we know the story turned out happy, but nevertheless, sometimes death is the answer. And that we don't understand until we get to him. Then we'll see all those pictures and he will explain and we'll say, you we know, that really was the best one. Even though there was no way we could see it at the time. Also the area that's going to be healed, we have to leave to him. Whether it's the spirit, which is most important, the biggest miracle is when we're converted or when our faith is strengthened. So whether it's spiritual or mental, sort of an emotional thing where we are more relaxed, or whether it's a physical healing, or maybe all three. We pray and we hope for all, but we don't say, Lord, this is the way it's gotta be. God is the one that makes those decisions. Now that we've examine ourselves, put everything into God's hands, there's only one thing left to do, and that's to obey his command to pray for one another. He makes that very clear. We're supposed to pray for each other's healing in faith. And there are a lot of promises that we should keep in mind as we do that. God always keeps his promises. He cannot lie. God never changes. The Bible says that very clearly. It says, God loves us with an eternal love. It says he begins to answer our prayers even before we're done praying. And it also says that God was in Christ, and Christ is in us, and wherever he is, there is power. And we're supposed to tap that power. It's neither the prayer nor the prayer that heals. It's God who heals. The prayer and the prayers are just the means that God has told us that we should make use of in order to channel His power where it's needed. We're going to ask Him to do that tonight because we believe His word. Even when He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the reason for healing. If ye he ask anything, in my name, I will do it.
0: Now, before we proceed to our final and very important part of our meeting, I'm going to ask you just to rise and stretch a little bit. I Thank you. That's okay. I've been doing that all evening. Now there will be a period of prayer, and you are free to leave at any time if you wish. But we ask one thing: do not leave without saying a prayer for yourself and for others. When the prayer period for the sick has been completed. There will be a very short hymn of praise to God. Now, some of you may soon want to come forward to the altar and have a prayer spoken for you or for others, and you are encouraged to do so. But while the prayers are spoken for the others, we ask the rest of you to be in a state of prayer, keeping in mind the very important instruction that we have received before. There will be four of us will be behind the altar rail to pray with you and for you. Fred and Margaret okay. Chaikline, uh, Dick Willman, who was one of the elders of this congregation, and I. And we, uh, in a few minutes, we'll ask you to come forward, and this is the procedure we will follow. We'll ask you
6: to rise and form two lines right at the center off right along the
0: pews. Then you can come forward, if we should do so, and uh, state your prayer you will and then you may yield for the price, if you wish. And then, we, the price you created, you may leave and go to the side aisle, and then take your place. And then those of you are standing in these rows that come forward and fill the vacancy that has been created. And while you now uh, rise, if you wish, and form two lines in the middle the aisle, uh, I shall ask our people to come forward rather more than and we will now sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, have Thine Own Way for Sentence.